FM Breakfast Show with your hosts, Lyle and Lawson. Welcome, everybody. You're listening on 87.6, or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. Special shout out to everybody listening in Wynyard, Tasmania this morning on 88.0. Karamut, Victoria, also on 88.0. And Esk in Queensland on 87.6. Shout out, Esk. Yes. One letter away from Esky. You know, I've never thought of that before, okay. but that kind of makes no sense. Yeah, uh, There's nothing about Esk that makes me think of an Esky. It's probably pretty hot up there. It's Queensland. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's because, maybe it's a place where they need an Esky. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone should just carry him around. If you're listening from Esk this morning, give us a call. Let us know. Why is your town called Esk? Mm. Why did they leave the Y off the end? Mm-hmm. Why don't they change it? What does Esk mean? Yes. Is there, is there some meaning to Esk? There is. Surely. There's a river named Esk. Really? Yes. And, and does that have meaning? or is I don't know. Does Esk just mean river? No. We need to know the answer to these things. La, what are you grateful for this morning? Oh, I had an amazing weekend. Went up to Gloucester, preached at Gloucester Church. was just absolutely fantastic. There was 16 people there. Amen which is just epic. There was one whole family away. There would have been 20 people there, except there was a whole family away. Wow. Last time I preached there about 10 years ago, there was three. Uh-huh. And that was the regular attendance. Wow. So good to see Gloucester Church just out there hitting some big runs and moving forward. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. It is The Breakfast Show here on Faith FM. We're starting a new quiz this week with a new prize. You can put your name in the hat by answering a question. You get your name in the hat as many times as you like. Well, as many questions as you can answer, we'll get your name in the hat. Also, a quick reminder, if you want to play along just for the bragging rights, then star it or state it. Mm. State it to Shell when you call up or put a star beside it if you send a text message through. Lawson. What's our first quiz question and what are our prize? What is our prize this week? Okay, in what situations did Paul say he had learned to show content? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. I'll read it again. In what situations did Paul say he had learned to show content? 0491-064-669 is the number to call. Or you could say B content he was he in, in what situations were where was he what did had he learned to become content but our prize for this week is god cares well it's just yes. something that we know yes something that we read in the bible he but does. there are some books here that are called god cares in fact there's two books it's a two volume set the message from daniel and okay. the message from revelation this is by Stephen Mer- mervyn maxwell these That's are right. not small books uh-huh these are very large, very thick books on uh-huh. Daniel and Revelation. We uh-huh. go through them verse by verse. Mm-hmm. If you want to know about Daniel and Revelation, these are the books to read. That's right. Probably, like, as m- the majority of the Christian world would point out, Daniel and Revelation, probably two of the most in-depth, incredible, potentially confusing, but 
amazing prophetic books in the Bible that have relevance to us all the way until this day. And so if you want to know what God is saying about the future, what God has said about the future from the past and what has come true, and what God is saying about the future going into the future, 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text to get your answers in, to get yourself in the draw. But again, that question was, in what situations did Paul say he had learned to show content? In fact, I might call up, I might round up some of my church friends and get them to answer these questions just so I can win these books for myself because they sound uh, <laughs> they sound amazing. Who wouldn't love to have an incredible resource like that? 0491-064-669. Uh, fantastic stuff. All right, what's we got for Positively Different News this morning, Lawson? It went well. Good. Yep. That's all we need to know. I'm sure you're wondering. On. Yep. No, I wasn't wondering at all. Oh, uh, no interest uh, okay. in your life. Wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I walk in the studio and the first thing Shell says to me is like, oh, how was your run on Friday? And I know that I told the listeners, I said, hey, I'm going for a run after this. And my run was good. So, and I had a run, I went for a run on Sunday. So you're welcome, everyone. You know, I had a good time. It was good. It was nice. I was going really, I don't know, relatively okay average pace but um yeah I had, I had a good weekend other than that i had a really really great weekend we had communion we had a oh nice great time at church serving one another and and learning the uh the ordinance of humility yes experiencing it but in worldwide global good news so i read a story this morning that has just revealed to me the immense money-making opportunity in basically everywhere that has sun. And we understand this as people who live in Australia, because we, we see this. We have lots of sun too. We have lots of sun and lots of people make money from the sun. Uh, But this story is essentially about how Egypt has created a solar field, which they are running a cable from. So they're running a, a cable from a solar field in Egypt up to Greece and Italy. That's a long way. It is pumping out three gigawatts of energy. And the purpose of this big, big old cable is obviously to get free energy from the sun that they pump into Europe, which will enable them to wean themselves off of Russian gas, which the Russians no longer want to give them. You know, that's what happens when you goes to war. Yeah, yeah, you go to war, and no one likes that you went to war, and they boycott your country and then you say well well i just won't give you any energy (laughs) rest in peace and so yeah they're running this massive big cable from egypt all the way up it's it lands in greece and then it gets dispersed from greece up into italy and hungary but one third of the energy so it's it's split up into thirds you've got one third going to greece one third going to italy and hungary and another third that is going specifically to the creation or the the production of hydrogen power okay hydrogen fuel cool which is amazing like yes use the sun to produce hydrogen use the hydrogen to power stuff that's right well use a big hydrogen ball in the sky to pull hydrogen out of the air to yes power stuff now again this is a fantastic idea hydrogen is just in our opinion here at the studio, just the coolest thing ever. If you could just run everything on hydrogen, you'd be able to, well, have 
no emissions. Or well, I think it's a great be. solution for places like Australia and also the United States. Not so much the United States, but definitely for Australia, where we have wide open spaces mm. and solar powered transport is very limiting. Mm. Not solar powered, but electric, electric, electric yeah. coal powered transport. Mm. And so instead, you can just pump it up with. And the thing that I love about hydrogen, again, it's an electric motor that's run by hydrogen. So it's not like a hydrogen engine. You still get an electric engine that yes. goes really yes. fast and has lots of torque, but it's powered by hydrogen. So and it should have less weight too because lithium batteries are kind of heavy. That's right. Your your hydrogen fuel cell it's, motor will be it. It, it seems, less it seems to be – it's the big letdown with electric-powered cars is their weight. They're mm-hmm. so unbelievably heavy. If you can reduce the weight and still have that power and torque, imagine what you can accomplish. Mm -hmm. And obviously there is a massive energy crisis happening in Europe at the moment. So it should help those guys out as well. Hopefully we don't want, we don't want to see the prices keep going up. Well, this was essentially, this is, this is already happening. If you didn't know, like, but from Morocco to Devon in the UK, uh, they've already got a big old cable there that's pumping out energy into the UK. And so I'm just like, if every place in North Africa just l- chucks down a solar field and runs a cable, yeah, on the on the Sahara Desert, that's right. They're all just making nothing else out there. They're, they're all just making big bucks. Yes, the the the, the, the economies just start booming. It's a great place to put it. Seriously, I mean, it rains in Egypt. What two millimeters once every ten years or something? Yeah, that's right. That's right. If that. If that. So the, the, the downfalls of solar, you know, all of these renewable energies have this like wind power. It's like, what if it's not windy? Solar, it's like, what if it's not sunny? Well, you don't have those problems in Egypt. So just chuck solar panels down there. Oh, let's have a look. Some other news. What do I want to talk about? Do I want to talk about the telescope or do I want to talk about Twitter? Telescope. I think you, you want to talk about the telescope? You know what? I'll talk about the telescope. I feel tomorrow. dumber every time I talk about Twitter. No, this is this is good news, Lyle. This is good news about how Twitter is. Well, if for those who didn't know, Elon Musk made a claim. He made he laid down. He put down the money. He signed the contracts. I'm going to buy Twitter. Yep. Then he was like, Twitter's a massive liability, and I don't want to buy it anymore. But he signed yep. a po- a contract that forewent any kind of clause that would allow him to get out of the deal. And so then Twitter sued him and was like. You have to buy. Now, he's like, in last year, in a U-turn move, he's like, okay, I will buy Twitter. And then, you know, hoping that Twitter lay off the proceedings and they just let him buy Twitter or buy time to continue to try and stop buying Twitter. And Twitter has said, we don't trust you. We are going to force you to buy our company and we are all going to make money and leave and you're going to run the whole thing. And if Elon Musk is left to run Twitter by himself, I mean, this is the thing. It's a company (laughs) that he doesn't want. So therefore, Twitter would either crash and burn, but also he promised that. So he wants to turn Twitter into this app called X, which is the everything app, which as soon as I hear that, I get kind of nervous because he's basically trying to make WeChat, but for the United States. If you don't know what WeChat is, it's a it's an app run by a company called Tencent, which is owned by the CCP, which is basically YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Apple Pay, every every it's every app in one. And I don't want that. I don't. I just, I just want to stay. I just, this is two things that I want. I don't want people making 
dumb takes on the internet like is regular on Twitter because, yeah, it's just cringe. And, uh, yeah, I don't want to have an app that we all have to use and run our lives by. Let us just put our phones away and live life, even though, you know, as I consistently brag about, I don't carry a wallet anymore because everything's on my phone. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. You're with the Double L team, Lyle and Lawson. We're about to have the next question for our quiz. Who said, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears? 0491-064-669 is the number to call or text if you know the answer to that one. And if you do, you will go into the draw to win our amazing prizes for this week. God Cares, both volumes on Daniel and Revelation. God Cares let the, lets the books of Daniel and Revelation speak directly to the minds and hearts of modern men and women. The reader of these volumes would discover that prophecy not only foretells the future, but that it clearly reveals God and his infinite care for us. It's just a little bit from the blurb here. But again, 0491-064-669 is the number to, to call or text. And that question was, who said, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears? If you want any terms and conditions in regards to our quiz, you can head on over to the Faith FM website, faithfm.com.au. Or, again, you can uh, state it or star it if you're just looking to play for bragging rights. But honestly, this... This prize is It's a good prize. I'd be, I'd be getting my, my name in the hat for oh, sure. And then you can give it to me. I mean, to keep <laughs> it for you. So, I mean, La, what's happening in the world of news? Ah, uh, the football wars. Mm. They just keep going and going and going. So the GDRB, Greater Western Sydney forward, Hanin Zurika, mm-hmm. opts out of the AFLW Pride round due to the rainbow jersey. Mm. For the second time. Mm. And I'm kind of wondering about this because I never heard about the first time and I've barely heard it about the second time. It doesn't have seem to have hit the news big at all, not like the Manly Seven or the Israel Folau or the um, Thorburn in- mm. incidents. But anyway, be that as it may, uh, she's a practising Muslim. She missed last season's match against the Western Bulldogs in Sydney after refusing to wear the Giants' rainbow jersey at that particular time. Mm. Um, she is. She became the first Islamic footballer to play in the AFLW after making her debut in 2019. She's kicked six goals and 36 games since. Mm. She says this, As the first Australian Muslim woman in the AFLW, I have a responsibility to represent my faith and my community. Amen. Uh, inclusion is about creating a space where people are able to respect their right to choose how they live their life as long as they don't advocate hate. Coming into this, I never thought it would be an issue. I didn't want to make a big deal of it until the AFL rejected me from wearing a normal jersey. That was a shock to me. I love the AFL and do what what the AFL do and the way they include everyone, but you can't have a round where you include people but exclude someone that it impacts their faith. Mm. I really feel like an outsider, like, no, mate, you're not a part of us. Mm. I always respect everyone, no matter what they are or where they come from, but obviously I take my religion seriously. They can, they can be whatever they want. I still love and respect them and they're still my mates. 
Mm. Which I think is a really good statement. I think that's a very balanced statement. I think it's well written. I think it's very reasonable. I think what the AFL is doing and football in general is doing in Australia is very, very unreasonable. They have shown themselves over and over and over again throughout the different codes to be the most exclusive organisation on the planet. Mm. And uh, really, when it comes down to it, they're a bunch of cowards because they are going after the marginalised within the community. Mm. Uh, while supporting the most celebrated and fastest-growing sector of the community. Mm. You know, they're supposed to be the ones who stand up for the marginalised. They're doing the exact opposite. Mm. Continuing on, Des Hasler, Manly Seagulls coach, is threatening to sue because the Manly Seagulls made the decision to force their players to wear the rainbow jersey without consulting him. Uh-huh. without talking to him, and as a result, they have irreparably damaged his possibility of being able to be the coach for next season. So they were number nine, uh-huh. and if they'd have made it to anywhere six and above, he would have had a guaranteed second season. Uh-huh. Of course, when they lost seven of their players who pulled out over the pride issue and they lost six games in a row, that completely destroyed his chances <gasps> of being guaranteed to be coach next year. And, of course, this was taken with no consultation with him as the coach, who knows the players, knows where they come from, knows what their faith is, knows whether they are going to stand for this or not. Mm. If they'd have come and consulted him first, he could have said, nah, nah, bad idea, don't do that. Uh, And it may have all been averted. Mm -hmm. But because it was forced upon him, he's now in danger of losing his job because of the decision that they made and so now threatening to sue. So I'm understanding that So there's like a contract stipulation that, hey, if you're in the top six in the league, then you keep your job. If you're not, you're under review. And he's like, I'm going to sue them because they... I'm under review because the decision they made. That's right. Oh, <laughs> yikes. As I say, it just, it's this gift that can, just keeps on giving. Uh, the Presbyterian Church has come out with a response to the Thorburn sacking. Mm. You should read this. Mm. These guys standing up being counted. The Presbyterian Church of Australia is deeply concerned at recent events surrounding the resignation of Andrew Thorburn as Chief Executive of the AFL's Essendon Football Club. We believe this marks a watershed moment in Australian history, the day we departed from some well-established common law principles where there was freedom of conscience and religion to Mm. being a society where only certain views are permitted in public life. Mm. While Israel Folau was discriminated against for his own beliefs, we note that Mr Thorburn was forced to resign from his post merely because of the particular church he belongs to. Mm. It had nothing to do with his beliefs. Um, Continuing on, there is apparently now a religious test for significant employment posts in Australia. We note that the ethical position Mr Thorburn's church, City on the Hill, takes on the subjects of abortion and sexuality is the same as that of mainline Roman, Catholic, Anglican, Presbyterian, Jewish and Muslim faiths. Will the Essendon Football Club now no longer welcome people who have sincere religious convictions from being involved with the club at either an administrative, coaching or playing level? Uh, GWS player uh, Hanin, oh sorry, that was uh, ha, yes, Hanin Zarika has announced she will be opting out of the upcoming AFLW Pride Round. Will she be hounded out because of her faith? Mm. Essendon Football Club says it supports wholeheartedly the work of the AFL in continuing to stamp out any discrimination based on race, sex, 
religion, gender, sexual identity or orientation or physical or mental disability, whilst at the same time forcing Mr Thorburn to reserve to resign because of his religion. This looks rather like speaking out of both sides of one's mouth. Mm. We are in a dangerous place as a nation when a Premier can seek to impose his own personal ideologies on everyone else. Mm. Such behaviour is appalling, hateful, bigoted, unkind and exclusive. The Presbyterian Church of Australia will continue to uphold the Bible's teachings that marriage should only ever be between a man and a woman and that the lives of unborn babies must always be protected. This is for the flourishing of families and all human life. There is nothing loving about killing unborn children and promoting a new and promoting an anti-life view of marriage. We pray for our political leaders and remind them that they, like us all, will one day have to give account before Almighty God. We also pray. We also urge our people to pray, stand firm for the faith, and not give in to the opposition from those who reject our Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. Finally, we ask those whom God has placed in authority over us in this world for the freedom to live out our faith without intolerant bullying. Wow. <laughs> oh, those guys wow. are coming out. Wow. <laughs> Did you hear Bravo. that? Bravo. <laughs> I'm like clapping. You know, I, I watched the uh, the interview where they invited the pastor of the City on a Hill Church and he was talking to Kochi or whatever and it was just like really terrible. Like, But also the pastor, I, I'm like, man, like... Just, just be direct because he was getting yes. asked questions and he was trying to speak around the question. Then he's like getting talked over, which was annoying. But I'm like, just be direct. Just answer the question. And that's exactly what the Presbyterian Church has done. Yeah, it's just like, answer the question. They're like, this is, this is where we stand. This is what we think. This is what we believe. Yes. This is why we believe it. And it's what everyone has believed for the last wow. couple of thousand years. Oh, that's amazing. <sighs> I found it really refreshing, to be honest. A breath mm. of fresh air. I could put my name to that. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd sign my name on the bottom of that. Yep. Right there. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah. And, and, and you know, uh, the shadow treasurer, Angus Robertson, as a result of all of this, which is just, you know, playing itself out in the media, has pointed out that, you know, the religious anti-discrimination bill that they tried to pass through last year is now more urgent than ever before because mm. until something like that is passed, this kind of thing is just going to continue. Mm. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. We are about to go to interview of the day. Before we do, next question for our quiz. We've got an amazing prize, so make sure you're getting your name in the hat this week. The witch consulted by King Saul came from where? 0491 is the number to call or text. If you know the answer, if you do, you'll go into the drawer to win God's God Cares, a message of Daniel and a message of Revelation. This is two volumes. What these books are saying to you, it's a verse-by-verse study on these incredible prophetic books of the Bible. But again, that number is 0491-064-669, and that question is, the witch consulted by King Saul came from where? In other words, we need to know which witch. Yep, correct. Which 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 is which? 0491-064-669. All right, joining us on the phone this morning is to uh, our resident historian, breakfast show historian, Eliza Southwell. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Lars. Now, I understand that this week we are talking about Christianity under the Mongol Empire and under Islam. So we, I, think, I think our audience might be in for a bit of a surprise with some of what we're going to learn <laughs> in relationship to this. 
Tell us about Christianity under the Mongols and then under Islam. Because the Mongols, I mean, Genghis Khan was, he was not Islamic, but Islam had a huge impact on the Mongolian Empire. Right, right. Um, and and they overlapped in territory and the Mongols were were constantly harassing the um, various Muslim empires. And so let's let's start at the start. So um, we've talked about Christianity in the Middle East before. Um, well, how about you tell me what you remember starting from the apostles? As in, as in far as far as uh, Christianity. So just reviewing from last time. Um, what what you tell me? What you remember from? Oh, she's going to put me on the spot. You're going to we're going to get an exam right here. <laughs> I see what's going from on. From the apostles to the eighth century. Uh, okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so starting with the apostles, I mean, obviously, rest. sorry? I'll fill in the rest. Well, starting with the apostles, you've got uh, Christianity starts off as an Asian religion, which a lot of people don't think about today because they see mm-hmm. Christianity as being a European and particularly or even a Western mm-hmm. European, but definitely a European religion. But it starts mm-hmm. off as an Asian religion. It gains a foothold, of course, in, uh, in, in, in Palestine and then spreads north into Syria. Uh, up into mm-hmm. Turkey, and these are all Asian countries until Paul eventually takes it across into uh, Europe for the first time when he crosses over into Greece, uh, etc. But Christianity yeah. spreads east, and a lot of people don't realise how far and how widely it spreads. It spreads out through the uh, trade routes in the east, particularly the spice route and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, Thomas, of course, takes it to India. Uh, it spreads across into China. It goes down into Indonesia. It, uh, I, I guess one of the big differences that you find in the Eastern spread of Christianity is that it doesn't become a national religion like it does in Rome, for mm-hmm. instance, where it becomes the state religion. Um, yeah. But, you know, this it, it, it has a major impact in many of these areas with large Christian centres uh, and, and, and centres of worship that, you know, a lot of that history has largely been lost today. But mm-hmm. if you go digging for it, it is certainly there. Um, I'm just sort of going completely off the top of my head right now. I'm just going to pass <laughs> it back to you, Eliza. You've done a very good job, Lyle. <laughs> so, so let me take over from here. Um, so, one one of the so you mentioned it's hard to figure out the history, you know, especially when it comes to places like Thailand or Indonesia, where we trace the history is wherever people were had a strong written history. Yes. So we're looking at empires, we're looking at major kingdoms, um, and so that's why some of the story tends to be a bit political. Yes. So we look at the Persian Empire and Christian, Christianity under Zoroastrian persecution, um, and Muslim rule actually came to Eastern Christians in Syria and Iran as a relief, <laughs> um, believe it or not. Um, so the Byzantine and Persian empires were exhausted from fighting each other for centuries, and the Umayyads rapidly swept through North Africa and Central Asia. The Eastern Church responded by actually moving its headquarters from Seleucia, which was the capital of the Persian Empire, to Baghdad. Um, so 
when the Muslims conquered the Persian Empire, the Catholicos, Ishu Yaba, um, petitioned and was granted protections for Christian worship in exchange for higher taxes. Um, and this is something that's endured on in uh, in many Arab countries today, yes, yes. Um, that Christians and Jews will pay an extra tax um, and they'll be left alone, at least in theory. So this isn't to say that Muslim rulers never persecuted their Christian subjects, but periods of persecution weren't the norm. Um, Muslim rulers tended to be too occupied with expansion and um, to care very much. Um, they had a much so, better track record on religious liberty than the Catholic Church had in the West. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and in fact, the Arab civil service recruited students from the Christian universities that um, the church had established for, well, that established them as Bible schools, as seminaries, but then expanded into medicine and law and um so the Arab civil service recruited students from those universities and really relied on those universities. I think one of the um, interesting things about this period too is the rapid rise of Islam in many ways was seen in this particular era that we're talking about as a reformation of Christianity. So you didn't have the great reformation mm. of the 16th century that had happened yet. The only reformation, the only major reformation that you had was the rise of Islam. Now this, of course, was a new religion, but if mm-hmm. you wanted to choose between the idolatry of Western Christianity or right. a, a religion that rejected all forms of idolatry, then your alternative was Islam at this particular time and they stood for good morals and for good living mm-hmm. and for righteous principles. And so it was very, very attractive, particularly in areas where Eastern Christian missionaries had gone and spread a type of Christianity that was mm-hmm. free from idolatry. And it helps to explain mm-hmm. you know, why... Islam spread through these countries and why it spread so quickly? Mm. Well, Islam spread at this point mainly as a political institution rather than as a religion. So even by, you know, even 300 years later in the year 1000, the majority of Syrians and Iraqis were Christians. Yes. Um, so, it, but, but you're absolutely right that um, Islam you know, continues to respect the prophets of the Bible, they just think, oh, well, the Bible's been corrupted somehow, and so we can make up our own thing. Um, so let's let's turn now to the Mongols. So um, Christianity thrived among the Turks. Um, around the year 1000, there were 200,000 Turkish and Mongolian Christians. Um, and there's, if, if our... Listeners know the story of um, Emperor Constantine and how he, you know, he wrote that he had a miraculous conversion experience and he had a dream and he saw the cross in the sky and and so on. Um, there's a similar story that comes from um, one of the um, Mongol tribes, the Kurates, and. The, this tribe of, of Mongols actually turns out to be very influential. The Kurates were, Genghis Khan was not a Kurate, but um, the Kurates followed a tradition of, well, they, they converted to Christianity and um, the, their kings were all called John. 
just like French kings are called Louis and um, German kings often take the name George, um, their kings took the name John. And so there's this story of in in Europe it came to be known as Prester John and it kind of turned into a legend, but there was a general awareness that there were Christian kings outside of Catholic Europe and it um, spurred on a lot of uh, expeditions by Europeans to well, throughout Africa, to Abyssinia, to um, Mongolia, looking for this Christian king that they called Prester John. Now, we'll come back to the crates later. Genghis Khan, many of our listeners will have heard of him. He united the Mongols, he conquered Asia, devastated Eastern Europe, and the Pope became so terrified at Mongol expansion that he asked the Catholicos, the leader of the Eastern Assyrian Church, to use his influence and save the Catholic nations of Western Europe somehow. Um, what is less known is that when Genghis Khan conquered the Kuwaits, he married their princess, who was, of course, a Christian. Um, so Genghis Khan has a reputation for murder and plunder, but actually he was quite tolerant of religion as long as it kept out of the way of politics. And who knows, maybe his wife was one of the reasons why. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, you know, one of many wives, one might say. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, but in the line of Genghis Khan, we see Christianity popping up again and again. Yes. So his son, Ogadai Khan, um, as the Mongols were threatening the border of the Roman Empire, two Catholic embassies were sent to the Mongols under Genghis's son. They reported that in nearly all of the lands they travelled, they found Assyrian Christians. They even met a Turkish king who was a Christian. So Christianity was not obscure. It wasn't rare. It was common among the Mongols and the Turks. So these Catholic ambassadors reported that Assyrian Christians conducted services in the Turkish language and they had the Bible in the Turkish alphabet. So these aren't... These aren't neutral observers. These are Catholic ambassadors who um, who aren't inclined to be kind to Assyrian Christians, to any other. No, not at all. Not at all. And yet they make these records, and you know it's very clear that Christianity was widespread. Um, the King of Portugal heard these reports and concluded that they must have actually been referring to Ethiopia because Ethiopia was also governed by a Christian king. So the Portuguese had a lot to do with um, Abyssinia and they invaded and so on. Um, Coming back to the Khans, Genghis's grandson, Guyuk Khan, actually converted to Christianity. And he appointed Christians in the great offices of state. He only ruled for a few years. Um, but the massacres that had characterized, uh, characterized the reigns of his father and grandfather seemed to have come to a pretty immediate end under Guyuk. Uh, so in this period, numerous Mongol princes or their wives were Christian. And what we tend to think about the Mongols is they're full of murder and barbarism and plunder. But actually... They were, uh, they had a great degree of tolerance and also a great, um, Christianity was, was very influential in their culture. 
Yeah, it's a um, it's is it remarkable the history that exists of what took place, you know, in these regions during this time period, particularly, you know, when you when we consider how it it largely disappeared. Mm. Mm. Well, one place where it certainly didn't disappear was Abyssinia or Ethiopia, as we call it today. Yes. So Ethiopia, we, we have good records in Abyssinia. Um, they kept the Sabbath as a rest day. They also Still gathered good. on Sunday. So they kind of kept two days. Yes. Um, when Portuguese explorers quizzed them on why they kept the Sabbath, um, they kept the record of what they said. And the Abyssinians told them that the Sabbath was a memorial of creation and that they kept it in obedience to Jesus, not in mimicry of the Jews or anything like that. When the Portuguese tried to colonize the kingdom, they actually forbade Sabbath-keeping on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't like that very much. A civil war quickly ensued, and the Jesuits were expelled from the kingdom. Abyssinia is actually one of the few non-European countries that has never been successfully colonized. That's right. Uh, Thailand is the other. Um, and you know the Portuguese have tried, the Italians have tried, but... The Abyssinians still have a strong Christian history. Yes, it's certainly fascinating what has taken place in, in, in these countries and there's so much more we could talk about. Eliza Southwell, thank you so much for joining us this morning to talk about history under, under the Mongols and under Islam. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.